You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, episode number 73. Hey guys, happy Monday. So this week, April 11th through 17th, is Black Maternal Health Week. So I figured we would do an episode this week all about the Black Maternal Mortality Rate. And we've posted about this on our feed before. I think it's a subject that can be really heavy in some ways, but I think it needs a lot of light. And I've wanted to do a podcast episode on it for a while, and I figure this was a great week to do it. So the Black Mamas Matter Alliance is sponsoring the third annual Black Maternal Health Week from, like I said, this week, April 11th through 17th, as part of the observation of a National Minority Health Month in April. Rates of maternal morbidity and mortality are much higher in the United States than in our peer nations and national severe maternal morbidity rates have nearly doubled over the past decade, significantly higher for black women versus white women. So to help mitigate these rates, the Black Mamas Matter Alliance will observe Black Maternal Health Week to raise awareness of the problem, enrich the dialogue surrounding black maternal health, promote solutions, policies, and research, and increase community involvement, which is exactly what we're going to do today. We're involved. So guys, this episode is really cool. Even if you're not a black mom and you're a white mom or you're a mom of a different race, I think this episode is really cool and really interesting to tune into. I learned a whole lot. So this week I had my dear friend, Jasmine Johnson. She is a MD, a wife, a mother of two, and a maternal fetal medicine fellow at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Woohoo! My home state. My home, well, I'm not in Chapel Hill. I'm in Raleigh, but I'm, I'm near Chapel Hill. <laughs> Dr. Johnson received her undergraduate degree from the University of Michigan, medical degree at Indiana University School of Medicine, and completed her residency in obstetrics and gynecology at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. She also blogs, which is pretty cool. (laughs) So she's the founder and content creator of the blog, The Mrs. The Mommy, The MD, which is pretty cool. I know her on Instagram and on the internet as at Mrs. Mommy MD. Dr. Johnson's research interests include health disparities within the obstetric population and quality improvement efforts to help reduce maternal mortality and severe maternal morbidity. Jasmine continues to strive to be a fierce evidence-based advocate for the black community. So I thought she was just the perfect person to come on here and just talk to us. You guys are going to love her. I love her to death. So without further ado, let's get into this episode with Dr. Jasmine Johnson, MD. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where we firmly believe in the power of education when it comes to giving birth. Tune in each week as we dive into pregnancy-related topics, expert interviews, and a variety of birth stories. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now, here's your host, educator, registered nurse, and fellow mom, Liesl Teen. Wondering what you need to do to stay on track during each week of pregnancy? Not sure what you need to be learning or researching along the way? I can help. 
Sign up for our free weekly pregnancy series to get tips, advice, and resources tailored to your exact week of pregnancy sent straight to your inbox every week. Sign up at mommylabornurse.com slash I am pregnant to get your first email today. See you in your inbox real soon. Hi, Jasmine. Welcome to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. It's so exciting to catch up with you. Yeah, I know. So, uh, obviously, nobody listening to this knows that w- knows that we know each other like in real life. <laughs> and we kind of used to work with, <laughs> with each other back in the day. So, yeah. um, I'm going to start by having you just introduce yourself and tell me all about yourself. And then, yeah, we can, I guess, go into how we kind of know each other, too. Absolutely. So um, my name is Jasmine Johnson. I am a third year maternal fetal medicine fellow. And what that means is I've gotten training in obstetrics and gynecology. So um, went through medical school and residency and then decided to subspecialize in just high risk pregnancy. So now I'm entering my last few months of training so that I can be a high risk pregnancy specialist. Yeah, super exciting to to not be training anymore. But then also um, my, my social media side Um, talks about that a lot. But also when I was in college, I had an unplanned pregnancy with my son, Nate, who's now 12 years old. I can't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I was deciding whether, yeah, I know he's like an adult. Um, I was deciding whether or not, you know, medical, medical school was still for me after I like had this, you know, Uh obviously a huge change in my life and wasn't sure if being a mom and being a doctor could be something I I could do. And it sounds crazy now because we know so many physicians online who are talking about their role as a parent and their role as a physician. But, but back then in 2008, there weren't, there weren't any blogs about it. And so I decided to start my own blog called Mrs. Mommy MD. And I chronicled my time through medical school residency and now fellowship. And um, that's kind of the also awesome side of, of being a physician and being able to provide some mentorship that way. Yeah, that's awesome. Because yeah, you I remember when I kind of started mommy labor nurse, and we chatted like a long time ago. Um, Mm -hmm. And I looked at all of your stuff and your website. I mean, you're like an OG blogger, (laughs) like you were blogging back when like people were not blogging. (laughs) Yes, yes. It was I always say it was like my free therapy at first. It was just like a journal. And it's amazing what the community has turned into because it's been such a great way to have connection and like keep up with friendships that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to make. So it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, just on a side note, so Jasmine and I know each other in real life. We, uh, she did, uh, I guess, how many years were you at wake med through how many, three or four? Yes. We do three, three of our four years is at wake med. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I was a nurse. I think actually the first year that you were a first year resident was my first year there too. I think so. So we were both there. (laughs) Yeah. We were both there. I I was back when I was full time on nights before I had Walter. Um, So yeah, we, you were a resident and I was a nurse and we had plenty of deliveries to each other. Oh my gosh. The wake med labor and delivery 
crew is yes. the best. I miss you guys so much. So yes, <laughs> we, miss you. we miss you too. All right. Well, Jasmine, we are going to talk about a kind of a heavy topic today, but something that I really, really wanted to do a whole episode on because I think it, it needs a whole episode. And I wanted to bring you on here because I think you just are a super expert in it and just a super expert in everything. And I just love you. So I want you to <laughs> talk you. about this um, in depth. So this episode is about the Black maternal mortality rate. Um, I think I want you to just start. Can you just tell us like some statistics and why, why this is an issue and like, just, just like lay it out flat for us? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm so glad you're doing this topic because um, I, I think that for so long, people have been doing research in this field, and yeah. now it's starting to get recognition. But these statistics that I'm going to share are the most recent ones. However, this has been an issue in our country. So um, just to kind of set the stage, you know, we consider the United States a developed nation. So we have a lot of resources that should put us kind of on the forefront when it comes to healthcare and the health mm -hmm. of the people who live here. Um, but when you compare us to other developed nations, we actually have the highest maternal mortality rate. And mm -hmm. so um, when we calculate maternal mortality rates, it's the number of maternal deaths per 100,000 live births. And um, it seems like a big, big statistic, but just to kind of put this into perspective, about 700 women die in the United States every year related mm -hmm. to pregnancy and pregnancy-related causes. And our most recent maternal mortality rate is about 17.4 deaths per 100,000 live births. But that's for everyone in our country. When you separate that by race and ethnicity, that's when we start to see this like staggering disparity that everyone is talking about now. So when we look at maternal mortality rates by race, American Indian and Alaska Native and Black women are two to three times as likely to die from pregnancy-related causes than white women. And this statistic has not changed since you know, the early 2000s, since the 90s. Um, at one time, the, rate, the gap was even bigger. Um, we were saying about probably earlier in my residency, you know, that that disparity was three to four times higher for black women compared to white women. And we don't see that it improves because um, black women have less comorbid conditions or there's no risk factor to explain it is, is what I'm yeah. trying to say. Um, it's not explained by like a history of certain things being more prevalent in the black community. It's not explained by poverty, education or access to care. And I think what illustrates that really well is that, you know, when the CDC does their maternal mortality statistic overview, they look at social determinants of health or things pertaining to like how a person interacts with their community and the resources they have. And what we found is that Black women with at least a college degree were still five times more likely to die from pregnancy-related causes compared to white women who um, did not graduate high school. And so I think that like that right there hits the nail on the head. There's something going on in our country where it's putting communities of color in vulnerable positions, and it has nothing to do with something inherent in that community. So, so I'm glad we're talking about this and happy to get more into the data, but that's yeah. kind of like the global overview. Just the, yeah, no, I love that, that you laid that out. That was perfect. So something um, that I 
have gotten in the past. Um, when I I've, I posted on this recently a month or so ago, yeah, it was right at the beginning of Black, of February for Black History Month. We did a post on on it, and I had not very many, but a couple messages from people. Um, just some of them were just curiosity of like this seems like it does not exist like this does not Mm -hmm. make sense and then other ones were just kind of uh like more hater kind of like just like that's not true this this is a false so I guess what would you what would you say to those types of people more the haters not the people who are genuinely curious but yeah I it's you know I what I say back is like these are the these are numbers it's nothing like this is data it's like how can you say that this is like false so I guess you probably Mm -hmm. get maybe some of the same or have seen some of the same comments or have seen like like that's absolutely not like there's no way that that's true like why would some why would you know I treat everybody the same when I take care of it like so I guess how would you what would you say back to those people yeah I think you know the first thing and I'll address the people who are really curious and want to know more, you know, I come from the perspective of a researcher in that you're absolutely right. We are using data to inform policy and decision-making and protocols in hospitals. And so this data that I'm presenting is our country and it's, it's collected by the center for disease control, which is a nonpartisan, non-biased entity that just collects information from birth certificates and death certificates and, and maternal mortality review committees that consist of stakeholders. They actually, a lot of times don't include patients. So there are people that are not involved in the case and are tasked with figuring out the cause. And so I think that, you know, it's not biased information that we have on this issue. And so um, to those who don't believe it, um, I would say the best thing to do would be inform yourself on how the data is collected, because maybe maybe there is some misinformation out there about how it's collected and and the, the numbers that we have. I think seeing the, the charts and the actual numbers, but then on the other side, also, you know, behind every statistic is a family that's been devastated. And if, yeah. if you what pull you in, um, I would look up um, Charles Johnson, whose wife, Kira, died after a routine cesarean delivery after, after she bled to death because no one came to reevaluate her um, abdominal pain in the hours after her surgery. Um, Shalon Irving, who was a PhD who worked for the CDC, died of a stroke related to preeclampsia because she went to her doctor multiple times and was told that it was just postpartum stress and she ended up having a stroke and died days after delivery. Um, and she researched this um, and she was also a black woman. And ProPublica, um, Lena Martin and some of her um, her colleagues wrote something called Lost Mothers, which was in 2017, they basically tried to find all the seven of the 700 women who died or mothers who died in the United States and found their stories. And so it puts a face with each statistic. So I say to the people who don't believe that this is really an issue, how can you deny a woman's face or a picture or her husband telling her story as he's raising now two young boys as a single father? I, 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 I don't think you can not believe it when you hear those when you hear those words and and see those faces and we will get right back into this episode after a quick break from this week's sponsor 
Pregnancy and birth come with a lot of unknowns. And I should know, I'm a labor and delivery nurse. What if I told you there was a resource that could support you for every step of the way and prepare you for every scenario, no matter how things play out? It's true. The Mommy Labor Nurse All Access Pass gives you instant access to every single one of our courses and resources in one spot for an entire year. Head on over to mommylabornurse.com AAP to learn more. I can't wait to see you in there. And now let's get right back into this week's episode. All right, Jasmine. So you are personally a black mom of two. How old are your kids now? I have a son who's 12 and a daughter who's seven. That's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So do you feel like you were ever treated differently just like with your personal experience being, being black and being a mom and like, do you ever feel like you were just treated any differently? Yeah. So I, you know, I feel blessed to have had very medically low risk pregnancies. So, um, everything for the most part was pretty straightforward. I had a pretty socially high risk situation, just having yeah. my first, my son in college and, yeah. and all of the instability kind of navigating being a single mom. Um, and for both of my pregnancies, I had wonderful obstetricians. So I'm, I'm so grateful to both of them because I felt like they did not treat me like what the narrative is right now for black moms in America. Yeah. Um, but having had one child, um, out, you know, in Detroit uninsured, single black mother. And then having one child as a medical student with insurance married, I I felt the stigma and the differences of what care and trying to navigate the system is in those different situations. So just, you know, some research has shown that by virtue of just where your zip code is, that can impact an outcome. So Mm -hmm. as someone who was on Medicaid insurance, I had a limited amount of providers I could go see. Um, What, you know, I started with a, with a doctor who was delivering at one of the like very like new cutting edge hospitals. And then because of my, my insurance, thankfully I was able to stay with my doctor, but I ended up delivering at um, like one of the state hospitals in Detroit. And although the care with my doctor was wonderful and my labor and delivery nurse is like, I still to this day, remember my labor as as uh, such a joyous occasion. Um, the stark contrast of experiences just by virtue of having, you know, a state health plan versus Mm -hmm. private insurance, um, delivering in a city that is under-resourced and has decreased access to care compared to delivering in a suburb that's one of the wealthiest in in the state where I was going to medical school. It, you know, and it was, I'm not a different person in those situations. I'm the same Jasmine, but my, my care was different and the experience I had was different. And honestly, that kind of lit a fire in me so that when I became a physician, I didn't feel short-sighted in the fact that like, oh, you know, even though I'm able to give this type of care at this hospital, there are so many people just because of where they live, the mm-hmm. resources they have, no matter how health literate they are, they are limited in getting like evidence-based excellent care. And so I just want to make sure that I am for my patients, what my doctors were for me, you know, no matter yeah. where you are, you should be able to have physicians that partner with you and listen to you and provide the best standard of care, because that's, that's how we correct these inequities. Yeah, totally. No, that's, that's great. And I mean, I can't agree with you more, more. like, that's, <laughs> I mean, you know, where I work yeah. and yeah. I think it's just interesting to see. I don't think there's any difference in the care that people receive, um, 
going through WPP versus like Mm -hmm. the private practice that Mm -hmm. we go with, but yeah, it's just a different, it's just a different class of people. And I think it's, I think it's great that you kind of took that experience that you had. And now, you know, you're like, I want to, I want to work with like, I don't, yeah, it sounds great to be at a private practice and probably, you know, you have certain benefits if you're being, if you work at a private, you know, blah, 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 blah. But it seems like you want to serve the people who actually need. Exactly. And, and you, you want to serve everyone. I totally agree. You know, the, the training that I got in residency, I think that one of the strengths of the program was that we weren't isolated to one particular environment. You know, you're on a labor suite where you have someone who just immigrated to the United States laboring next to like a professor laboring next to someone like me, who's a student. And so, and, and we provide the same care for everybody. And I think that we, in our bubbles, take that for granted sometimes because that is not the experience of everyone. Even speaking to like my friends who I went to college with, who are now having children, um, Mm -hmm. just the things that their, their doctors say to them and the way that they feel after interactions, it's almost appalling. Um, and, and so I just, I think that having these conversations and making sure that we don't just stay within our bubble and we speak out about these things, make sure that like everybody, no matter where they deliver, where they get their prenatal care is going to get, get that, that type of care. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that kind of transitioned into this next, uh, question about your practice. So Mm -hmm. you're a black mom, but you're actually, you're also a doctor, (laughs) obviously. Um, so have you ever witnessed anything like concretely in your practice or in your schooling, anything from your colleagues? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, I, I think that we have to acknowledge that racism in medicine is everywhere. Yeah. And a lot of it now sometimes is more dangerous because it's more insidious. It's the way yeah. that we teach. It's the way that we, um, use our biases to come up with a diagnosis. And so an example of this is, um, we had someone come to our hospital. He was like a device rep um, for a postpartum hemorrhage management system. So this is a system to help us more accurately measure blood loss after deliveries and hopefully prevent postpartum hemorrhage for everyone, right? Yeah. Um, and so we were piloting this, this device on our, our labor and delivery unit. And after having it go through, you know, our practice for a few months, um, the rep came back who is, is a, a retired surgeon who mm-hmm. <laughs> saw patients and now um, works for this, this company. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, I'm, I was a little bit surprised by your hemorrhage rates. Do you guys have a lot of black moms here because black mm-hmm. moms bleed more. Mm-hmm. And this was like a morning conference, a room filled with our labor and delivery nurses, our nurse leadership, you know, I'm a maternal fetal medicine fellow. So I'm, yeah. I'm not the high man on the totem pole. There were attendings there. There were medical yeah. students um, that heard this. And I remember having this like out of body reaction where I was just like, did no one hear what he just said? Like that was that very like, true. yeah, like it yeah. was probably, was it just like nonchalant? Like it was so nonchalant and he yeah. just kept going. And so yeah. when he finished his talk, I raised my hand and I just remember like my hand was shaking because <laughs> I was a fellow and there were much more experienced people around me, but I yeah. felt like I could not leave that room without saying something. And I said, excuse me, sir, there are learners in this room. And I just don't want them to leave this room thinking that what you said was correct. Black moms do not bleed more there. There is nothing about black people's blood that makes the 
bleed more. Um, it, it is because there is racism. It is because yeah. they are ignored. It is because they aren't yeah. treated in the si timely fashion. It has nothing to do with their blood not clotting as much. Yeah. And so I just want to make sure that, you know, no one leaves this room thinking that what you just said is true. And yeah. he just stared at me and, and <gasps> I was going to ask, what did he do? <laughs> he just stared at me and like kept going and, uh -huh. and, and I remember like my face was like hot Aww. and afterwards, every, you know, a lot of people texted me and they were like, I'm so glad you said something. And these were people who are more senior than me. And, yeah. and it was after reflecting on that, it was very emotional because I feel like sometimes I feel like as the black person in the department, as the yeah. only black MFM fellow, like I'm always the one bringing up yeah. these issues on race and medicine and and it's really hard for people to confront other people about race. And I think that that was a prime example. And it also, again, just let me know, like, I need to continue to speak. We all need to speak yeah. up because if those medical students have left there and then went to be physicians and thought that like black women were coagulopathic, I don't know how that would change treatment. Like maybe they would let black women have higher blood you loss because yeah, you, never know. you don't know, you don't yeah. know. Um, and, and, you know, that is similar to this study that they did in the University of Virginia, where they actually polled nursing students and medical students on these like true or false statements. And some of them were actually true. And some were just false and like kind of racist statements about difference between blacks and whites. So like, for example, black people have thicker skin and so they don't perceive pain um, or they, their pain perception, like they have a higher pain tolerance. And people actually said that this, they thought that was true or that they, wow. they clotted faster, those types of things that would affect how they assess a patient, what patient, whether or not they think they're in pain. Totally. And we actually did a study um, on our postpartum unit after routine cesarean delivery. And what we found is that black women reported more severe pain scores by, um, by the staff that came in and assessed their pain. However, they received less assessments by nurses and they received less pain medication compared to white women who did not have as highly reported pain scores. And so again, I don't think the people in our units are racist. I don't think they yeah, yeah. ignore black women and don't assess their pain intentionally. But I think we do need to take a step back and think about like, what have we been taught? What has been like perpetuated through medicine yeah. that is just reinforcing some of these like racist structures and beliefs um, that's impacting how, how yeah. black patients are getting care and patients of color in general. And so um, it, it's uncomfortable, but I'm so yeah. glad I raised my hand and confronted that, that old I am white too. man. Um, and I hope that I inspired other people to do the same when I'm not the only black person in the yeah. room or when yeah. there isn't a person of color in the room, just because we're not going to change mindsets and views until we start talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I think that's a perfect example. And I mean, gosh, it's, it's so easy to do, you know, mm -hmm. it's just so it's hard. I'm sure it's hard for people to speak up, but it's, it's, it's also just so easy to just say, Hey, um, did you mean what you just said? Or like, actually, <laughs> right. that's not true. You know, that's it's perfect. like just yep. a simple thing that you can say that just, I mean, you don't know that, that raising of your hand could have made such yeah. a difference in every single person in that room, just in the way that the next person that they take care of, it's like, oh yeah, you know, Jasmine said this, like, mm -hmm. or if you hadn't raised your hand, 
Maybe right. it's not something that they're thinking about while they're taking care of their patients. That guy in the meeting said that black moths yeah. don't clot as much, but it's like, it's just in the back of their head. So that's going to impact yeah, their practice. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, no, I think that's great. I think that's a great example. Well, I want to talk about actionable steps. Okay. Mm-hmm. And while we're still talking about providers and stuff that uh, actual stuff that, that you've taken, let's talk about that first. And are so obviously speaking up and having conversations Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. one, but are there any other actionable steps that we as providers can take to address this issue? Yeah. Well, I think looking at our own biases, so we all have implicit biases. And so we need to educate ourselves on what they are so that when we do see them kind of playing themselves out, we're able to take a step back exactly like you said, yeah. you know, reflecting and saying, well, what did you mean by that statement? Right. Uh, can you support that with data? Just making sure that the things that we're practicing are evidence-based. So yeah. a great example right now that um, everyone is starting to look at. So at our Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine meeting, um, one of the presenters looked back at a study where basically um, ACOG or the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists were recommending different thresholds for hemoglobin cutoffs for treatment of anemia in black versus white patients. And so um, it, it actually really isn't rooted in really good data, um, mm-hmm. but black patients, basically they were saying, you know, wait till they're more anemic to treat them because there was this like historical thought that like black patients at baseline have lower hemoglobins, which mm-hmm. we've now debunked that. And, mm-hmm. and that helps to make sure that all patients are treated for their anemia appropriately. So looking at like race-based algorithms in medicine, there's so many, um, and they're starting to talk about them more. So like the VBAC calculator, when we're talking about counseling people for vaginal birth Mm. after cesarean, there is a race and ethnicity, um, category in that. And now we're looking, well, okay, how, how does race really play into a VBAC calculator? Like we know that like pelvimetry is not different amongst mm-hmm. races. Race is the social construct. So we need to stop penalizing people of color oh. when, we're, when we're counseling them on whether or not they'll have a successful vaginal birth after cesarean. Um, other things, you know, hospitals are starting to do bias training, but I think mm-hmm. that like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of red tape with all of that. And I think yeah. waiting for hospitals to like roll out big, these big trainings, I don't think we need to do that. We need to like take it upon ourselves and check out things like um, out of Greensboro, there's the Race Equity Institute that has mm-hmm. this awesome training that's not necessarily medically based, but it just gives you a good like overview of like race in America and like yeah. how race started and how race intersects with classism and how it trickles yeah. down into all these different domains. Um, when you do have uh, quality metrics at work for, for those that are practicing in the clinical field, make sure they are tracking outcomes by race and ethnicity. So, you know, where you where we trained and where you mm-hmm. work, Liesl, you guys have one of the best or one of the lowest cesarean rates. Like it's so yeah. impressive. Yeah. And so you want to make sure that like we are disaggregating that data by race. So if we have yeah. the best cesarean, um, the lowest cesarean rate in the country, let's make sure that like the people who are getting a cesarean aren't just black or Hispanic yeah. or, you know, people mm-hmm. of color, because then that's an inequity. And we need to go back and look at like what is going on in those, those labor courses that is kind of putting patients disproportionately on the C-section path. Um, And then, you know, we all are really good at listening to our patients, but just, you know, taking a step back and not 
taking offense when a patient speaks up and says they're not feeling listened to or they voiced their concerns and they didn't feel like their provider was really partnering with them. I think we need to like bring some humility to the table as well. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's obvious, <laughs> right? I mean, I feel like we, I talk, you know, me and my husband talk about that in, in, um, marriage, in marriage counseling that we <laughs> yes, need to, totally. you know, not take stuff personally as yes, much if yes. like somebody brings up this and yeah, that's how, um, that's how we should be at our bedside. So <laughs> I totally agree. Well, let's talk about, are there any actionable steps that moms can take black moms? Mm-hmm. If anybody's listening, um, I know advocacy is a really good one. Like moms learning about advocacy and how to advocate for themselves, but yeah. do you have anything that, you know, it's, it's obviously we are a big, we play a big role in this as providers, but I'm sure there are a lot of things that you as a mom can do too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I love giving people action items, but I yeah. always preface this, like for the black moms listening out there there is nothing wrong with you. There is nothing wrong with black women that explains these statistics. And so we can't be responsible for fixing this problem solely. But I think that until we have this like big mass change that we're looking for, um, definitely making sure that our moms feel empowered to speak up. We spend so much money on healthcare in this country, but I feel like our patients really feel disempowered to like speak up when they don't feel listened to by their providers. And as much of a hassle as it is to switch a doctor and transfer records, it is okay to switch doctors. It is okay to switch obstetricians in the middle of your pregnancy. If you don't feel like it's a good fit, you know, for black women, that is a life or death decision who you've chosen to, to partner with for your prenatal care and delivery. And, and we, I feel very doomsday by saying that, but, but there are so many stories and narratives that started with, she said something and it was brushed off. She said something, she went to the doctor and she was sent home. And so you just really want to have someone that you trust um, taking care of you. And um, the New York times put out an article towards the end of last year where they, um, they had some really good conversation starters for women of color when they wanted to talk to their prenatal providers about like everything happening because black women are afraid to have babies right now. And so um, it was things like, you know, going to your appointment and saying, I read in the media that black women don't, um, don't have their pain taken as seriously as women of other races. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me like what your hospital is doing to address this? Or how do you feel about this? And I think that like having these conversations, you don't have to have the perfect answer as Mm -hmm. a physician, but as someone who's had a baby before, I really value when someone acknowledges my fears and concerns and and just listen, Hey, yeah, Hey, I'm here for you. And we're going to get the best outcome we possibly can. Um, as a high risk pregnancy doctor, I always tell my patients, like, know your history, know if you have a high risk pregnancy or a condition that would put you in a high risk pregnancy, because those are the things that going into a pregnancy, you want to make sure that you've optimized your health um, because that is what's going to create, you know, the, the most smooth prenatal course and delivery that you can. Um, I love telling people to partner with doulas. So there, um, there are doulas, there's uh, triangle doulas of color, which is an organization um, started by black women for the black community here. But then there's um, sister song. um, There's national networks that have kind of directories of doulas. Um, Mm -hmm. Some of them are for fees. Some are, some are for a price, but that's good to just have another person advocate with you. Um, And then 
also bringing people to appointments. So in the pandemic, and these are these are things that everybody can do in the pandemic. You know, sometimes depending on where you go for care, there may be visitor restrictions. But mm-hmm. especially um, in my field, where we talk about a lot of like heavy, complicated things, I like to pause and say, "Is there someone you want to call? Is there someone you want to put on FaceTime mm-hmm. that couldn't be here?" Because I think that you know some of some of the shock of getting a lot of information, you have to like hear it a couple times and have someone with you to like remember the things you forgot. And so those those would be my big ones that I would tell yeah. patients to do. Love it. Love it. Well, this is a great, I've been taking notes, Jasmine, because <laughs> we're actually, um, I'm sure you're familiar with the situation that happened with Serena Williams. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how many years ago, 2017, I think it was yeah. that she had her daughter. Uh-huh. Um, and she's super cute. I'm following her on she's so Instagram. Adorable. She just oh shared, uh, like they're both in pink little pink bathing suits. She's oh shared. my gosh. I saw that. One. Yeah. <laughs> so, cute. so cute. And I was like, I need to find this for me and Isabel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, she's a perfect example and we're sharing a quote today by her, um, for our post today on for black maternal health week. Mm. And I just wrote down these, these doula, um, the sister song and the triangle doula uh-huh. one will definitely share those as well. Cause that's one of the actionable steps that we say too, is like, do, yeah, doulas, like they can make a huge, huge difference, regardless of if you're a person of color or not. Um, they can make a huge difference in just your whole birth experience. So totally, we're very pro doula. Totally. So yeah, we'll definitely share those as well. Um, Jasmine, this was a great conversation. Thank you so much for coming on with me. Can you tell us, I know you said it in the intro and I said it in my own intro, um, (laughs) but can you just remind people if they want to follow you on Instagram or follow you in the internet where they can find you? Yeah. So, um, I'm most active on Instagram, um, at Mrs. Mommy MD. Um, and I also have a blog where I'm actually for Black Maternal Health Week, trying to put out more content um, this week pertaining to these issues. So please check it out. Um, The website is www.thisismommymd.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure and it's good to catch up. I haven't talked to you. Well, we talked, but this is spoiler alert. We're (laughs) re-recording some stuff um, because Jasmine, we had some technical issues. So I just (laughs) talked to Jasmine like a month ago, but before that I hadn't talked to you. I know it was nice to to get the double dose. Nice to catch up. (laughs) Yes. All right, Jasmine. Well, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. No problem. All right, so that is it for this episode of the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. You probably follow me on Instagram because that's probably where you came from. But if you don't, head over to Instagram and follow me at mommy.labornurse for more. That is certainly where I am most active. I also now have a separate Instagram for just this podcast. So I encourage you to follow my second account at mommylabornurse.podcast as well if you want podcast updates. Again, that is at mommylabornurse.podcast. As always, you guys know that I also have a website where I have tons of articles all about pregnancy, birth, breastfeeding, newborn stuff, and more at www.mommylabornurse.com. I want to hear more from you on how much you love this episode of the podcast or how you think I can improve. So leave me a comment on one of my pictures, send me a DM, or send me an email with all the love. All right, guys, I will see you same time, same place next week.